Well, it looks like we lost Zoom. Don't know what happened, but something happened. Program restarted, I guess. So, my apologies to those who were watching. I don't know what happened. How would you describe the weight, the burden of sin? If you were to describe it graphically, maybe to paint a picture of it, what would it look like? I have seen tracks in my time where someone would be trying to show the weight of sin, and it might be a ball and chain around one's ankle with a heavy weight, more than they can possibly pull, and it's just holding them there in place. In Matthew chapter 18... In verse 23, Jesus was making a comparison to the kingdom of heaven and told of a king who wanted to settle his accounts. This parable was to teach about forgiveness, but it also describes the burden, the weight of sin. Because one servant was brought to him that owed 10,000 talents. That talent doesn't mean much to me. Because I don't use that system of measure, that system of monetary exchange. It doesn't mean much to you as well. So, fortunately, there's the Internet and there's tools that you can find that will do a calculation. My Bible dictionary indicated that a talent might be uh, 45 kilograms of silver or 90 kilograms of gold. So there was some difference in the measure. But one thing is we can convert those numbers into troy ounces and get an idea of what it might be like. And so doing that, it would indicate that 10,000 talents could be worth in silver $247 million. In gold, it would be $22 billion. That's a lot. One person described it as pointing to the wages a person might earn. In a year's time. And that it would take anywhere from 160,000 years to 200,000 years to pay it back. There was no way this individual was going to get out of that debt. He begged his king, his master, for forgiveness. And he was released from that debt. Now we know how the parable also goes. And we're not going to talk about forgiveness today. Because I just want to illustrate the burden of sin. Another question would be, how do you think people feel when they're under that weight of sin? Something that they just can't get out from under. Maybe they've had medical expenses that are forcing them into bankruptcy. They don't know what they're going to do. They have no money to pay it back. Maybe spiritually they have so walked away from God, lived a life so contrary to God, Now they're just thinking, there's nothing I can do. God would never have me. When someone finds themselves in too deep, the results usually are not good. The fact of the matter is, sin creates that problem for us. It carries with it a debt load that is far beyond what anyone can pay. This morning we're going to continue our series on shadows of the sacrifices. 
Remind you of what the Hebrew writer said in chapter 10 and verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. The realities would be realized in Jesus Christ. So what we're looking at as we go through our series, we're looking at shadows of the old sacrificial system. So that we see the reality that was fulfilled and given to us in Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about the sin offering, the sin sacrifice. Today, our shadow is going to be an examination of what's known as the trespass or the guilt offering. The name in Hebrew was asham, which literally meant guilt or debt. And that's because all wrongdoing creates a moral responsibility and indebtedness. Those who trespassed could not be right before God until the trespass had been made fully right in the eyes of the individual. In this case, who had been trespassed against. That could be God, as we will see. It could be another individual. And if it were another individual, that would explain why Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 23, said, When you realize that your neighbor has something against you, you're on your way to make your offering to the Lord. You realize your neighbor has something against you. Lay your offering at the side of the altar. Go be reconciled to your neighbor, to your brother. Then come and present your offering. Because God doesn't want your offering if you're not right with the one whom you've trespassed against. So we're going to find these in Leviticus chapter 5 and 6. And that's where we're going to be in just a moment. But before we get to the trespass offering specifically... And I want you to know we're not going to go through all of the rituals that were involved at the tabernacle with the blood sacrifice because we want to look at some other things today. We're going to start looking at some of the differences between the sin offering that we looked at last week and the trespass offering that's for our consideration today. In the sin offering, Leviticus chapter 4, we notice that it was a sacrifice of atonement to take away our sin. You'd sinned against God, and now fellowship is broken, and you're out of covenantal relationship with God, and something has to happen to restore that relationship. So the ritual was one where primarily it is atonement that's taking place. The trespass offering differs just a little bit because it deals with sins that are, as I said, could be committed against God, or more likely committed against an individual. It might be a sin committed against your neighbor, a relative, or someone else in Israel. It could be something like maybe misappropriating someone's property. We're not going to call it outright theft, although it would cover theft. We might say misappropriating, but maybe you found it. It was just there. There were a couple of sheep, a couple of lambs that were there on the side of the road. You didn't know whose they were, but you took them and you kept them. And somebody comes looking for them and you just casually kind of excuse yourself from any conversation so that you don't have to reveal, oh, I found these and he's described them and these belong to him. Could be just cheating your neighbor. In fact, the word means to oppress. So when you're cheating somebody, you're oppressing them. But as I said earlier, it could be a trespass against God. People take things that belong to God. When Israel went into the promised land and and took Jericho, in chapter 6, God says this, and I'm summarizing. When the city falls, don't take any of it for yourself. It's all mine. 
But when we get to chapter 7, we realize that there is a man by the name of Achan who took some things that were under the ban. They belonged to God. And so when Israel went up against the city of Ai, they failed because God was not happy with the nation of Israel because of Achan's sin. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, the question is asked of God by Malachi, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How have we robbed you, they asked, in your tithes and contributions? Taking what rightfully belonged to God was a trespass against him. In all these cases, the trespass offering is what was required to offer. But the trespass offering differed greatly from the sin offering in that it primarily deals with restitution. The individual who had been wronged by the one who trespassed against him. And that's where I want to focus your attention this morning. The primary focus of the offering is the required restitution. So that's where we're going to take the bulk of our lesson. Now let's turn to Leviticus chapters 5 and chapter 6. Starting in verse 14. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord... He shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish out, out of the flock valued in silver shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing and shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering and he will be forgiven. If anyone sins in doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. The priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake he made unintentionally, and he shall be given forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. Chapter 6, as we continue, says, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit, a security, or through robbery, or suppressed his neighbor, cheated, some translations say, or has found something lost and lied about it, my example, swearing falsely in any of the things that people do, and sin thereby, he has sinned. If he has sinned and realized his guilt, he will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression, or the deposit that he didn't return. He is going to make restitution. That's what's going on here. Things done unintentionally, coming to realize it. He adds a fifth to it. 20%. You see, there's more than just the sacrifice that's involved here. There's that restitution that set the restitution makes the person whole. But did it make them whole? If I take twenty thousand dollars from you for a year and we'll just say the stock market's doing better than it is right now. And I make 20 percent on your twenty thousand dollars. Well, that's pretty good. I made some money. I can give you your twenty thousand back. Right. And that you're made whole. You've got 20,000. But are you really made whole? No, because you lost the 20 percent that you could have made had you had that 20,000 available to you. So if a person, an Israelite, 
found those two or three sheep on the side of the road, didn't know whose they were, and took them, cared for them. They had lambs. And now he finds out, the, the owner finds out about it. He was deprived of those lambs. So therefore, the 20% penalty to make him whole, not only by the return of the sheep, but by giving him what he lost by not having those sheep that were his. So, as we look on, if anyone sins by doing any of the things of the Lord's commandments that ought not to be done, and he realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. He didn't realize it. He came to realize it later. So what's this thing? It's saying that ignorance is not an excuse. If you're ignorant of what you did, you're still guilty. It doesn't matter. Ignorance is not going to get you out of this sin. So as we read on, as we read on into chapter 6, and we go through it again, if anyone sins and commits a breach of faith by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit, security through robbery, as we look on down in verse 4, if he has sinned and realized his guilt, he will restore what he took by robbery, by oppression, or the deposit that was committed to him, the lost thing which he has found, anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it full and shall add to it a fifth and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his gift, his guilt. So he's going to go out of his way to make it right with his neighbor, to make it right with God. Now, the absence of the ability to pay restitution and what's known as satisfaction, that 20% penalty, what if a poor person did this and he didn't have that extra 20%? Or maybe he took the lamb and he killed it and he ate it. Now he doesn't have it. He can't give it back. Well, if a poor person didn't have the ability to pay it back, it would go before the court. It was taken to a judge and then the judge would administer some level of corporal punishment for the payment as he saw fitting due to the inability to repay the restitution. So this form of punishment was ultimately a really deterrent so that being poor was no excuse for violating the law. Because you weren't going to get out of your punishment. You were going to pay a price. That person might go before the judge and the judge might sentence him to maybe one stripe. You take the whip, he's tied up to a post. And one crack of the whip and it's done and that's over. It could be up to 40. Whatever the judge would determine was necessary in the circumstance. So when once the restitution has now been paid, the ram was offered as the atoning sacrifice. But the ritual is different because primarily the atonement in this sacrifice is marginal. The major debt was the fact that restitution and interest was going to be paid back to the individual who was trespassed against. And that's where the major lesson is. The major deterrent, the major punishment was in the paying of it back. And we see in all of this, as we read through it and pick apart all the details, we learn some interesting things. The bottom line, though, is that the trespass offering was based on a strict eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth kind of justice system. Of the law of Moses. So if you took something, did something wrong against your neighbor, you're going to pay it back one way or another. It was a very strict type of repayment. So you'd be, better be ready to pay a lot for your sin. 
Well, let's look at the reality of this trespass offering. The reality of it is what it, when we see it when it comes to sin, we owe more than we could ever hope to repay. We couldn't pay enough through restitution to God or man to get ourselves out of the mess that we're in. We deserve to be on the cross instead of Jesus. We can praise God, therefore, for the reality in Christ that he redeemed us. That he, as Paul would say in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, that Christ paid the price for our trespasses. He bought us from the cur- back from the curse of the law. So turn with me, if you would please, to the book of Isaiah for a moment. Messianic prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53. Our concern is in verses 10 and 11. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring out of the anguish of his soul. He shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. So Isaiah here is saying prophetically that Jesus is not only our sin offering, he is our trespass offering. He is our guilt offering. Because of his sacrifice, Jesus rendered himself as our trespass offering. And God was satisfied in that it covered our trespasses. And how does the Lord's Prayer begin in Matthew chapter 6? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, some translations say. Some say our debts. As we forgive those who trespass or are debtors against us. We were debtors. We trespassed against God. Jesus took them all away. He literally became our sin bearer. He took them to Calvary. He paid the necessary price. And so as we learned last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as we looked at the sin offering, if anyone is in Christ in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians, no, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, through whom Christ reconciled, through whom Christ reconciled us to himself, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He would go on to say, In verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He doesn't count. He reconciled to us to himself, not counting the trespasses that should be held against us because Christ paid the price. So you see how that Jesus is our guilt offering, how he has paid the price for our sins. He has made restitution before God. And as we looked at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13 last week as well, as we're studying Colossians on Sunday morning, we're not there yet to this one, but in chapter 2 and verse 13, talking about our baptism, reminding these Colossian Christians of the supremacy of Christ and the salvation they have in him, and said, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Christ has paid the price. That includes more than just our sins against God. That includes sins against anyone. 
Any sin that we have committed, any trespass that we have committed is forgiven in Christ. He was our sin bearer. Jesus, his sacrifice satisfied God as he rendered himself a guilt offering. And so the gospel, it really is good news. It's great news. That's why Jesus is the reality of a better covenant. That's why Hebrews was written to show that the shadow was inferior to what we have in Christ. That Jesus paid the restitution for our sins. And so we've discussed similar response that should be ours. It should inspire us because of what Christ has done. Paul would say in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. So this morning, let us consider the fact that Jesus, our sin bearer, paying for the price of our transgression, should inspire us in our life. Most of all, it should make us humble before him. Because we don't deserve any of the things that we've gotten. So let us be humble as we realize the price that Jesus paid for us. So turn with me, if you now would, to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 deals with Zacchaeus. Now we know the story. You can probably start singing the song in your minds right now. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see Yeah, he was a small statured man. He heard that Jesus was passing through. He entered Jericho, it says in chapter 19 and verse 1. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, we know what the Jews thought of tax collectors. They were traitors. They were thieves. They would take take things that they didn't have a right to. But Zacchaeus, it says in verse 3, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But account of the crowd, because of his size... Because he was, he could not because he was small stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Zacchaeus saw something in Jesus, the things that he heard about Jesus. He wanted to get to know him. I mean, who's going to climb up in a tree? To see somebody, unless it's really, really important. Well, the crowd saw it. They grumbled. He has gone into be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, we're not told in the text that Zacchaeus cheated his neighbor in the raising of taxes. So Zacchaeus stood and said, Lord, behold, half of the goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. That's the spirit of the trespass offering. We're not told that Zacchaeus stole it, cheated people out of it. But just in case, he was willing to give to the Lord half of his possessions and restore four times as much to those whom he defrauded. And Jesus responded to him, today salvation has come to this house. Since he also was the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And that's the attitude that we have to have. Zacchaeus was ecstatic when he saw and talked, heard about Jesus. And so John the Baptist in his early ministry 
went about preaching. And one of the things that he said, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. You've wronged somebody. You know you've wronged somebody. Now you need to bring forth what you have wronged to show your repentance. Our response to Jesus is that we should always have a penitent heart, being willing to make changes necessary in our lives, our imperfect lives. That's what's being faithful. So the question is, how do we respond to the work of Christ's redemptive work to restore us to fellowship with God and to one another? There's a show on the BBC, I saw it on Netflix, it's called The Repair Shop. The format's very simple. Skilled restoration experts are brought family heirlooms. Sometimes it'll be a clock, maybe it'll be a piece of luggage. These people are experts. Now they get the stories from the family of why it's so important, and they go to work on it. Some of them look really hard to do, but they do it. They restore the pieces to virtually new condition. Our God has always been in the business of restoration. From the fall of the garden to today. But first you have to recognize your need. Then you come to him in repentance, as Zacchaeus did. You trust in his sacrifice, and he will restore you. And that's the message that's inherent in the trespass offering. So we do that by bearing fruit. John chapter 15 First Corinthians first, First Corinthians six, verse twenty. Paul told the church there, "Glorify God in your body." John chapter fifteen, verse eight. Jesus talked about us bearing fruit. That would be the repentance of Zacchaeus, the repentance of anyone who has realized the weight of their sin and has come to Jesus for restoration. So. What are we going to do with our gifts as we go forth and live in this world? Our sins and our trespasses are expensive. Under the old shadow, they cost the lives of millions of animals. And of course, people pay dearly so that we can see the reality of the redemption that we have in Christ more nearly. They paid a debt physically. We can never grasp what was going through their minds. But they did it because they knew that God would restore them to fellowship. The ultimate, though, price of sin was paid for at Calvary. I don't know where you are today. God does. You may know as well. Do you need to stand in view of your trespasses and sins? Have you given your life to Christ? How is your life today? Is there something you need to get off or cut that chain from the ball so that you can be right with God? If you stand subject to the invitation of Jesus, won't you please come to him while together we stand and sing?